Good morning, friends. Today's message is titled Prayer 101. My text is Ephesians 6, verses 18 to 20. You know, in Ephesians 6, as uh, Paul nears the end of his magnificent letter, he calls Christians to put on the whole armor of God so that we can fight and win the spiritual battles we face every day. That's verses 10 to 17, and I'll come back to that another week. But then without any break, he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That's verse 18. You know, in the school of Christian living, this is prayer 101. This is the how-to, not the why of prayer. And there's nothing more difficult, or nothing, nothing, to difficult, nothing difficult to understand in what he writes. You know, it's easy to see how this fits in the context. Prayer is our ultimate weapon in spiritual warfare. It's not just part of the armor, it's that which makes the armor effective. And in verse 18, Paul gives five fundamental facts about Christian prayer. That's what I want to share with you today. First of all, there are many ways to pray, and they're all valid. Now, Paul says we should pray with all kinds of prayers and requests. Well, let's analyze those prayers from a couple of different angles. We can talk about the content of prayer. You know, for example, the ACTS, the Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. We can talk about the posture of prayer, like sitting or standing or your hands lifted up or your eyes open, eyes closed, hands folded, in a whole variety of ways, kneeling uh, and even stretched out before the Lord. We can talk about the associations of prayer, which means we can pray alone or a small group or in a worship service or in a concert of prayer. You don't, I don't see too many of those, but you can do it over the Internet, over the phone, email. You can even write a letter. Some of you, you remember what a letter is, don't you? Now, we can talk about the style of prayer. It can be formal. It can be informal. It's uh, liturgical, uh, written, recited, uh, conversational. I mean, just thank you prayers. I mean, like... Lord have mercy, uh, long prayers, short prayers, singing your prayers, speaking your prayers, writing prayers, chanting prayers even, spontaneous prayers, prayers you memorize like come Lord Jesus be our guest or now I lay me down to sleep or the Our Father. We can talk about the places of prayer like uh, the morning during your devotions around a dinner table in the car on your cell phone during a worship service in the street plopped in a pew or even at a ball game. Well, we don't do much of that in the ball game during this pandemic, but you know what I mean. We can talk about the objects of prayer, such as confession and restoration or physical or spiritual or emotional healing or a financial need or a broken relationship or spiritual growth or the spread of the gospel or a friend in need or leaders in your church or for your pastor, for your friends, and yes, even for your enemies. See, prayer may be as varied as the needs of the heart. The true measure of prayer is not its form or content or style or location or length or beauty of expression. The real question is, did it come from your heart? Was it sincere? Were you truly seeking the Lord? If so, then we might claim the promises of James 5.16 that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. Now, that's a long way around to say that there are many ways to pray. If we pray from the heart in Jesus' name, then the Father's pleased. He inclines his heart to hear us when we call on him. Well, second thing we can learn here from Paul as he writes to these Christians at Ephesus is the best time to pray is when you feel the need to pray. Pretty simple, huh? 
Paul instructs us to pray on all occasions. Now, the Greek word uh, here is kairos, which means a particular moment when you feel a need for God. It speaks of coming to the crossroads, a time of need, a sense of weakness, and you just suddenly cry out to the Lord. Now, sometimes we approach prayer superstitiously as if we should only pray about big things. We don't want to bother God with the small stuff. Pretty silly. After all, he's God, friends. It's it's all small stuff to him. Or perhaps we should say it another way, because he cares so much for us, even our small stuff matters to him. Well, third, effective prayer requires sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul says we are to pray in the Spirit. Now, literally, that means under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Well, it helps me to think about it this way. Praying in the Spirit means following the Spirit's guidance as to when to pray. Because prayer itself is the language of heaven, the impulse to pray comes from the Holy Spirit. He not only invites us to pray, he also incites us to pray. And sometimes you will think, you know, I really should pray about that. Well, don't ever brush that thought away. Do it. Go ahead and pray right then. Now, sometimes people can say, I I wish we could pray about that. Well, take that as a message from the Holy Spirit and go ahead and pray. I mean, these impulses to pray can come at any time. You could be on a cell phone call with a friend and you feel moved to pray. Then pray. You know, when you're talking with a friend, you know, over a cup of coffee and you feel moved to pray, pray. You know, when you're listening to something on the radio or watching something on TV and you're moved, pray. If you're sitting in church and even though you're in church and you suddenly feel the need to pray, pray. Uh, When you're having a sleepless night rather than toss and turn, pray. When you're getting ready to have surgery. See, if you think about praying, go ahead and pray. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray the Lord without speaking any words at all. The Lord will hear you from heaven. When the Lord speaks to you and says, pray, don't say no. Go ahead and pray. And pray about the things the Lord lays on your heart. I mean, don't be ashamed or worried that you won't say the right thing. After all, the Holy Spirit knows your heart. He intercedes for us with wordless groaning. That's what Romans 8, 26 and 27 say. He comes alongside of us to to help us when we pray so that our feeble prayers actually rise with power and enter the courts of heaven to be carried to the throne of grace. There's an old gospel song um, that says sometimes we just need to have a little talk with Jesus. Well, that song also says when you feel a little prayer wheel turning. I mean, it's hard to explain exactly what that means, but I know what that's like. You can be sure that the Lord is turning the prayer wheel in your heart and moving you to pray. So have a little talk with Jesus. Now, let's not make this mysterious. Whenever you feel an inner urge to pray, do it. We should all pray a lot more every day. We would pray a lot more every day if we became sensitive to the impulse of the Spirit in our lives. And fourth, if you want your prayers answered, stay awake and keep on praying. Verse 18 says, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message translation, puts it this way. Keep your eyes open. Keep keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Now, Paul here really uses a military term to get his point across. Consider a sentry guarding a base, let's say in Afghanistan, not far from a Taliban stronghold. Now, compare that soldier with a security guard at the Walmart. 
Who's going to be more alert? Chances are the sentry in Afghanistan. It's the one who believes he's on the front line is going to be more alert. Now, our problem with prayer is that we think we're kind of a security guard at Walmart, when in reality, we're like the sentry in Afghanistan. He has to stay alert because his buddies are depending on him. It's life or death. We mess around with prayer because we think it doesn't really matter, when in reality, we are sentries standing guard on the front lines of spiritual combat. Now, have you ever noticed how easy it is to be distracted when you pray? I mean, just as you bow your head, your cell phone rings. A text message pops up. Music distracts you. Suddenly you remember that you have a, a roast in the oven. A, a thousand things come crying into your mind. And sometimes it seems as if the devil's best work comes when? When you decide to pray. He unloads his full armory of distractions around you. Or perhaps you decide to spend a, an hour in prayer. Some of you say, what, an hour? Yeah, <clears throat> an hour in prayer. So maybe you get on your knees, you begin to pray, you pray for yourself, the members of your family, all your friends, leaders of the church, uh, missionaries you know, missionaries around the world, every country in the world. And finally you pray by name for every person in every country of the world, or so it seems, and then you look up and discover you've only been praying for five minutes. Wow. Well, fifth, the wider our circle of concern, the wider the results. Paul instructs us to pray for all the saints. This means we need to kind of pull ourselves out of the rut for praying only for ourselves and our family. Now, it's perfectly legitimate to pray for those closest to you. I mean, maybe some of you are sitting at your kitchen table today listening to this message, husband and wife, brother and sister, mom and dad, who knows. You know, that's great. Pray for that person across the table from you. But you have not exhausted the power of prayer if you stop. But you, if you stop there, if you pray for your friends, that's good. If you pray for your church, your church family, that's good. If you pray for missionaries you know and love, that's that's great. If you pray for other churches in your area, that's wonderful. At praise and worship, we pray for every church that pre- preaches the, the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Branson community. I mean, if you pray for God's work in other countries, your heart is stretched to new horizons. You know, those of you know who know what I do, you know, being with Christ for India, I pray for India all the time. I pray for the guys down in Angola Prison and Hunt Hunt Correctional Center. I mean, kind of think of your prayers in terms of concentric circles. Well, naturally, you start with those closest to your heart, and then you move out from there. And with every outward circle, you kind of move away from yourself and closer to the heart of God. For God so, what, loved the world. Now, how wide are your prayers? How broad is your concern? And when you pray, pray for the people of God around the world and pray for those yet to be reached with the gospel. Prayer is really the Christian secret weapon forged in the realms of glory, as somebody said. It's no accident that prayer comes immediately after the listing of the armor of God in verses 14 to 17. As someone once said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Now, some of us who know a little theology would do well to get an advanced degree in neology. Now, with that, we can quickly sum up Paul's personal prayer request in verses 19 to 20. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel 
for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Did you notice he asked for two things, clarity and courage. Clarity that he might have the right words to say. Courage that he might say the right words at the right time. Have you ever considered that the ability to communicate truth clearly is a gift from God? And it comes in answer to prayer. I mean, if a pastor isn't preaching well, it may be because maybe his people aren't praying well. Now, Paul wrote from a Roman prison where he was chained to a guard 24 hours a day. He was literally an ambassador in chains. I mean, here's what blows me away. Though he was innocent of any crime, he doesn't say, pray that I can get out of here or ask God to reverse my sentence or pray that they will cut me loose from these chains. In short, he does not ask that his circumstances might be changed because he understood that behind the mighty Roman Empire stood the Lord God Almighty himself. God had called him to that prison. He had work to do there. So he asked prayer that he might be clear and courageous to do God's work while he was in prison. Did he want to be set free? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. But I don't think that was uppermost in his mind. You see, whether in prison or out, he wanted only to proclaim Christ to those who did not know him. He doesn't pray to be released, nor does he ask that his life may be spared. He does not ask for a miracle. He only asks for this, that when he opens his mouth, he will have something to say and that he will have the courage to say it. What an example for the rest of us. Well, let me summarize this teaching up this way. Truth number one, no one ever outgrows the need for prayer. I mean, most of us find it hard to say, pray for me, because that seems like a sign of weakness. And you know something, friends? It is. But that is why we need prayer in the first place. If we were strong, if we could all do it for ourselves. But see, here's the real truth about you and me. We are not that strong. We are not that smart. We are not that clever. We're not that wise. We're not that brave. That's why you and I need other people to pray for us. No one is so strong that he or she is beyond the need of prayer. No one is so rich in blessings that he or she does not need someone to pray for them. As that old spiritual song says, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I mean, sometimes we do not ask for prayer because we are overly concerned about our image. See, our pride keeps us silent, even in desperate times. We want to keep up the image that somehow that we're in control, that we can handle our own problems, that we're self-sufficient. After all, if people hear us asking for prayer, what are they going to think? Well, friends, if they love us, they're going to think we need some prayer and they're going to pray for us. Let me ask you this question. Who is the greatest Christian of all time? You know, that's, that's an odd question to ask. But, you know, I guess if I were asked that question, I would probably nominate the Apostle Paul. I mean, in Scripture, other than Jesus, who knew the gospel better? I mean, no one. Who preached it more fearlessly? I don't think anyone. Yet he wanted the Ephesians to pray for him. Now, was Paul a failure? Not at all. He wrote a great part of the New Testament, opened Europe to the gospel. Yet he was not afraid to admit his need. It's the mark of the right kind of humility when someone says, pray for me. And there's truth number two. No one ever outgrows the need to pray for other people. I mean, someone you know needs your prayers right now. In the army of the Lord, every soldier needs help. Someone needs hope. Someone needs patience. Someone needs courage. 
Someone you know needs love. Someone needs determination. Someone needs insight. Someone just needs strength. Someone just needs guidance. You know, friends, someone will be wounded unless you pray. Someone will give up unless you pray. Some are going to be deceived unless you pray. Someone will yield to temptation unless you pray. Someone will make a foolish choice unless you pray. Someone will grow faint unless you pray. Someone will collapse under the load unless you pray. Someone will go AWOL unless you pray. You know, there's always more than enough to pray about if only we would open our eyes and look around. So let me ask, I'm going to return to the question I posed earlier. I wonder what would happen in our churches if everyone in the congregation was prayed for every day. What would it do for our worship, our outreach, our relationships, our faith, our vision for the future, our leadership? You know, if we all started praying for each other, all those people in our fellowships every day, we would not be the same, I don't think. Now, I wonder if it could ever happen. Now, I'm not thinking about another organization or some big program or another meeting to attend or reports to fill out. Those things are well, good, have their place. But that is not what's on my mind. I hope you can remember something Jesus said. And these words are written over the doorway as you come into one entrance of Lord of Life. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that were true of your church or my church, every church, every fellowship? I mean, think of the word that would spread. Those people really know how to pray. I mean, think of the love that would grow. Think of the lives that would change. Think of the miracles God would do. Think of the excitement on a Sunday morning. We'd get up early and come to church eagerly, waiting to see what God is going to do. We'd sing with new gusto and pray with new fervency and listen with new expectation. And who knows, someone might just hang around and get saved. I mean, think of the impact around the world as we begin to pray for God's work in places like Pakistan or Gambia or Mongolia or Uzbekistan or Hungary or Irian Jaya. I mean, I think God has more for us than we have ever dreamed. What if we really started to pray? Now, some sermons answer questions. This one asks a question. Now it is your turn to think about the answer. Let's pray. Our Father, we know so little about prayer. We stagger, we stumble, we pray our little prayers, and then we feel guilty. Make us willing to learn from you. And we say with the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray so that we may receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Until next time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless, and pray on.